Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. Well, I hope you are a regular listener to the podcast episodes that precede the one that I'm introducing now. And if you are, you've already heard a conversation with Gary Strack, who is a very interesting fellow. And we focus in the last conversation on his career, particularly in the years that he was CEO of a hospital system. But in that conversation, there were references to something we found we have in common, which is a love of golf. Gary has been at it a lot longer than I. I've only been back at golf after a 30 year break for about two years. But we thought, let's have another conversation and focus on that practice of golfing, because it seems to be very important to anything else we do. Consulting in his case, or teaching, working on various uh, fundraising projects now that he's retired and for me teaching even though i'm retired this is my way of teaching the podcast and golfing weaves into all of both of our lives in a way that we thought let's talk about and share so here is gary strack I I said in the LinkedIn and Facebook posts that I put out this week in June that I'm going to be back talking with Gary Strack. In this case, it'll be mostly about a practice that both of us in our own ways uh, care a great deal about golf. (laughs) But if you do read, go back and listen to episode 109, you're going to learn a great deal more about Gary and this extraordinary career that he's still having. He and I were told we're, I guess, retired, but I don't think we listened, did we, Gary? (laughs) (laughs) But what it did for me, and this is how we'll start talking about golf. After I retired in 2016, you know, like most people who had been a workaholic 24 by seven with my interest in my teaching and and the writing and supporting my professional groups, I went, it was like a clunk. And then there was silence. (laughs) It's like, okay, what do you do now? And uh, I knew after having a, a, a bit of a health crisis that was solved because I stopped working so hard and therefore what was bothering me was detected and corrected is okay, I got a gift here. I'm still 73, 74, Uh, I see, plenty of future ahead. And I, I can't just do a few things for myself and my body and my spirit. I want to do one thing that puts it all together. (laughs) And then I also want to charge myself to do something, which I swore I would never do again when I felt so bad at my golf game, did it so poorly in my mind, no one else told me that, that I said, ah, that's it. No more golf for me. 30 years later, I get back out on the golf course and after a few lessons, now it's been two and a half years and I, every morning, I can't wait to get up, to get out there at basically the first do uh, 7 a.m. and start playing again. 
So why, for me, why golf? It puts it all together. And Gary, you and I talked about that at the end of our last conversation. What does golf mean to you? What has it done for you in all these years that you've been playing? Well, other than cause a lot of frustration and fun, you know, at both ends of the spectrum, it's uh, it's allowed me to uh, achieve a lot more self-awareness about, about so many things in life. It's helped me achieve, obviously, some humility because I don't believe you can play golf as an amateur and not acquire some humility. And uh, it's provided me just serendipitously with a tremendous amount of lifetime experiences because uh, in my career, uh, very fortunately, we were in Orlando and I was the CEO of an organization and through a whole fortuitous sets of circumstances, uh, we got involved with Arnold Palmer and that led to a whole process of eventually building the Arnold Palmer Hospital for Children and Women. Wow. And uh, we got involved with the Bay Hill Classic and became the recipient charity for them. And Arnie and Greg Norman both lived in Orlando and they had four or five tournaments with, for us, uh, fundraisers, and it allowed me to meet a lot of really nice professional golfers and, you know, and to have some really great experiences. But I all, I, I've never considered myself a golfer. I, I don't use that term anymore. I mean, a golfer's like a real golfer's like a surgeon or an architect or some other uh, level where you achieve sort of a level of mastery. Mm. And 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 I believe that you you have a, a a game where you understand all of the dimensions of the game and all of the skills that are required, mm. and you have to be come proficient in all of them or you'll never come anywhere close to mastering. I mean, you just can't drive the ball and think you're a golfer and hit it a long way or sh hit short irons or chips or putts. You, you are not, if you can't play in the sand or if you're not smart enough to know how to play in the wind and the rain. And it's, it's a whole experience. And, and I never felt that I became a a whole golfer. I enjoyed playing golf, but that's the difference between that and being a golfer. But I enjoy the game. Oh, now his his where you and I are different. <laughs> you see, uh, after a few months and getting a little bit better at the game, I went from playing golf to saying to myself, "I'm a golfer now." Now here's here's the difference, and I'm not at all contesting your point because this right. is a, this is a, a game a sport a way of life that has so many moving parts and so much uh, about it that even probably the very best like the men you just uh, mentioned will say well in a way there's still a lot more for me to learn but here's my right. point <laughs> when i felt differently when i felt like oh boy i can't wait to get out there again and I tested that over some weeks and I tested it in cold New England weather on frosty November days. I still wanted to get up and get back out. So that's the fear on test for what I will commit myself to. I've, I've got to be looking forward to it. But on the other hand, uh, you have the same feeling about getting back out there the next day or two, don't you? Absolutely. No, I mean, if, if think about, I think I told you this story that 
somebody once said that uh, a, one, a very famous sort of female golfer who was very good, uh, she would play with uh, amateurs that weren't that good. And mm-hmm. she, you know, they would get upset and she would ask them sometimes she'd say, you know, or she might mention to them, you know, you're not good enough to get mad. But then she would ask them, you know, what does making love and golf have in common? And of course, there there are sex and golf have in common. And of course, their cheeks would drop down and they were speechless that she mm-hmm. would ask that. Yeah. And then after they paused for a few minutes, she said, well, the answer to that is those are the only two things that you don't have to be that good at to enjoy. <laughs> and that. Uh-huh. And she said, now, now think about golf. She said, you're going to play, uh, you're going to golf. You're going to play in four hours and about 15 minutes, whether you shoot an 82 or a 72 or a hundred and two. And in that four hours and 15 minutes, you're going to be with some people that you really enjoy their friendship and companionship. Mm-hmm. And if you're playing with people that you don't enjoy their friendship and companionship, then shame on you. Not enjoying the game. Yeah. You're not. As she said, number two, you're going to get four hours and 15 minutes of fresh air and sunshine, which is one of the healthiest things that you can do for a human being. And even if you ride in a golf cart, you're going to have to get up and down a hundred times. And that's like doing, uh, you know, squats. And you're <laughs> going to probably, you'll probably still walk at least a mile. And then she said, the third thing is you're going to see some absolutely beautiful scenery, the most gorgeous places in the world on the golf courses that, you know, just the lakes and the terrain and the flowers and everything else. And she said, the fourth thing, it's a, it's a good, fun, challenging game based on your handicap. You're always learning. So I've, I've always kind of rationalized that, uh, to allow me to achieve what I call an okay plateau in that game. And know that I'm probably not going to improve a lot more, but I enjoy it, you know. So that's that's, that's kind of my, my belief. No, so so we agree. And, and one day, Gary, will you signal me when you say, okay, now I'm a golfer. Just let me know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because it sounds to me like you're a hell of a, a golfer already, but that's your decision. And I think that's the point I want to make about practice here. Right. And, and Peter and I were quite clear, as clear as we could be, when we called practice, we, we spoke about practice with a big P. We underline the, the P when we'd write about practice. Right. What we meant there is there are all sorts of ways that human beings organize themselves, sometimes to make a living, sometimes for art's sake, sometimes for recreation, and do it so consciously that they commit to ever increasingly challenging results. Right. Under the circumstances, wherever their practice takes them in the moment, that's where they're going to grow and learn either by failure or by success. That's golf. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're exactly right. The thing about golf is that it's one of the few sports. Well, I wouldn't say one of the few, but it's one that you you are playing against the golf course, of course, and there's no really, there's very few unforced errors. I mean, uh, they, uh, you know, most of the errors you can attribute to yourself. I mean, there, it's, Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, you might get a bad break, you know, and your ball hits a sprinkler head and bounces over the green into a hazard. And, you know, that's, that's just a bad break, you know. Yeah. But most of the, 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 the things that we do is that we don't hit it 
either because we weren't intentional enough about what we did. We weren't, we didn't commit to the shot. We had a swing flaw because we got, we tried to hit it too quick. Maybe we were, we, maybe we had some fear and that impinged on our swing. I mean, there's a lot of things that you get, you know, and so when you hit a bad shot, you can't get mad at the golf course. (laughs) (laughs) It's not, or, or your buddies or anything else. And so it's, it's a game of awareness and it's a game of, of self and you of learning self feedback, you know, but my problem is sometimes I'll continue to make the same errors over and over again. Oh, and, that just, and, that, and that's what, that's, what's frustrating. You know, if oh, I had, but yeah. if, if I had not, if I had not achieved a greater level of practice and proficiency in my career, I wouldn't have lasted very long. Right. Uh, yeah. And and so while we're talking about golf, is it somewhat unserious unless we're professionals or competing amateurs? It still very much ties into the rest of things that we have applied ourselves. Uh, me, uh, for, as for me, it was teaching uh, uh, unstoppably, can't stop me from teaching. Uh, but, uh, you know, one of the things that you helped me with right after our last conversation, Gary, was you said, I want you to read two books. <laughs> now, right. I want to tell you, folks, Gary said last time that he's a voracious reader. Now, here's the other point that maybe he won't say, but I'll say from our conversations. He remembers a whole lot of what he read and who wrote it and when. <laughs> he just talked to me a book about a book he read 25 years ago and he cited three of its most important principles. So Gary said, you got to read a book uh, by a gentleman named Boomer and also a book by Peck, Scott Peck. The Boomer book, Gary was, he wrote around what, the twenties? Well, no, he, he, he was a Scottish golfer and the book finally was written in the the fifties, yeah. but he had thought about it for 40 years. Yeah. And, I, I had that feeling that he was, yeah, and, and he, his pr- principle was how it was. The, the book was called on learning golf. Mm-hmm. And he always felt that he was not uh, ready to, he, he always was revising it because he never thought it was good enough. And that he <laughs> wanted, he wanted to get down to the five or six fundamentals that were so essential that people could remember and that he also wanted to help people learn the game, not worry about being taught. He didn't feel that he taught the game. He felt that he helped people learn. Uh-huh. And, and so I thought, and, and based on it, uh, the reason I suggested that book to you, because I wish I had read it 35 years ago <laughs> and only read it in the last four or five. But more importantly, I think that Peter and you would have loved to have had him on your broadcast because he he loved the practice of teaching people to play golf. And so, but he also was a proficient player too. It wasn't that he, a lot of people teach courses in leadership that have never led an organization or a significant project or had significant experience in leading and managing. But so he knew it from all angles and wanted to be a, a, a good teacher of the practice of playing golf. And, and so I think Peter would have loved that. And I, and the only, I just felt based on what I knew about you and our conversations that it would resonate with you. you know? 
Oh yeah, it it, it certainly did, and in in just in two ways at least. First, uh, Peter and I as teachers, uh, management educators, right? We were always in it for their learning, being right. our students. If we weren't getting a a real good read, that they were learning to gain the confidence to manage and lead, uh, then that was no fun for us. Right. Secondly, we we loved the idea that they were going to go on after our time and practice managing and learning because that was what they were going to need to succeed, not right. just a few remembered uh, theories that we exposed them to. Now, we never said leave theory behind. Right. Bring it along, just like the Boomer book. But here's the second point about Boomer. I really paid attention and... Boomer taught me how to get better at golf in the last couple of weeks, and he's passed away a long time ago. Right. Because he said it in such clarity. He said, it's the swing. <laughs> and the swing has a feeling to it. And when you relax, drop your shoulders, relax, and believe in, in the, what you can do with your lower body and your upper body at the same time. Feel the club head. I remember this, <laughs> you probably remember it very well. It's gonna, the club head's gonna tell you, you know, when it's back far enough and it's gonna tell you how to follow through. And just enjoy the swing, you know? Right. And I'd been chopping and doing this and criticizing the hell out of myself. And I think, was it him or was it Scott Peck who, who said, quiet your mind? Right, yeah. Fancy word for that ketosis or something like right, that. Yeah, and that was that was quite that was Peck. Peck, and yeah, so, but 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 Boomer said the same thing that you should have no tension above your waist. Yes, no I, anywhere in your jaws, your shoulders, or anywhere, and that you should be loose. You know, you know, and, and I I would take that into almost any practice you can imagine. I mean, imagine you're going into one of your really always serious board meetings back in the right. year. Uh, and you know, there's going to be some, some, some hard chopping going on there in terms of yeah. what people are going to deal with. And there you are bored. So you, you're not going to tell them totally what to do. Then you go in tense. You can go in with, you know, loaded with PowerPoint and ready to, you know, right. put up your dukes. Or would you not be the kind of person that Boomer and Peck wanted to go yeah. into that room? Well, you, you Prepared, know, what, but relaxed, relaxed, <laughs> relaxed. Is, and when you're relaxed and you're prepared, then you have the ability to have what I call adaptive confidence. You realize that that's all you can do is you're prepared and that perhaps, you know, you're not so wedded to your own agenda that you can't learn. I mean, you know, if I'm just going there to persuade and convince somebody that I'm right or sell and tell. And structure, mm -hmm. that's not much leading. And, you know, mm -hmm. and so, but if you, you said the key though, if you've done your homework and you've prepared and you pr practice, that's all you can do. And, uh, and if you don't, I, I, I I'm going to digress about another practice. I saw a special on Peyton Manning and how he prepared for football games. And it was a special on NBC a couple of years ago, but I never forgot this. He would go back to summer camp at the University of Tennessee and help the quarterbacks there. And wow. he would do that for two weeks every summer. 
But one of the guys that studied Peyton Manning, he said, Peyton, I've always noticed that one of the things that you do before you release the ball, I've looked at all your game films, just before you release the ball, you always have kind of a smile on your face. <laughs> and, 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 and Peyton said, well, you know, you, you have to do that. You have to trust your linemen that they're blocking for you. And he knew instinctively that if he was to cringe, that's the, that's my word. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, you know, to throw a pass, you have to stay relaxed, your shoulders and arms. And if you start cringing, it's going to get intercepted or go out of bounds. Now, obviously, if you know you're about to get tackled and you're behind the line and you're just throwing a Hail Mary out of bounds, that's different. But once you're in the pocket, you've got to trust you can throw the ball, it's going to go, and you've got to be relaxed. Otherwise, your shoulder muscles, hands, and arms won't work. Not, not to the level that's necessary. Well, it's the same thing that I have to, that I have to learn about golf. And that's the problem. Half your, half your golf swings, you're kind of fearful about hitting it in the water, in yeah. the tree. And if you're fearful and you slightly cringe anywhere in the swing, it's going to screw it up. It's going in the water. No doubt yeah. about it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, now I've got a third thing to think about. Very easy to do when I step up and I go out. Next time I go out, first go up the first tee, relax his face, and smile right all the way down to the flag, no matter how far away it is. Just well, hello, flag. <laughs> well, 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 you know, you laugh about that, though, but I will tell you that that is one of the things. There was a dentist that was a member of our golf course in Orlando. Was a very, very good golfer. And I came out there running one day to practice just five minutes before I teed off and I was chopping balls and I was in a hurry. And he looked <laughs> over at me and he said, Gary, he said, I know, he said, I, I don't like to give people tips, especially when they're in a hurry. And, but I, I just, I want you to know this It's one of the lessons that I had to learn. And he said, you don't come out here on Thursday afternoon to play golf, to relax. He said, you don't play golf to relax, but in order to play golf, you have to relax. You oh, cannot play golf. What a and I never forgot that because the, the, the tenser you get, the more tightened you get, the more anxious and hurry, your muscles tighten up. It, it all happens in a millisecond. And it's everything contrary to what you need to do to be a good golfer. And I will tell you another thing that, that I never forgot, Dave. Maybe you're some of your listeners are interested in golf. There was a famous golf teacher named Bob Toski. And he wrote a book called The Touch System to Better Golf years ago. He wrote lots of books. But he was a very famous golf teacher. And on the first page of the book, he said, if you're reading this book right now, I want you to take a pad and pencil, and before you turn the page, I want you to write your name like you sign a signature, like you're writing a check, okay? And so you do that, and you flipped over to the second page. Now, he said, I want you to look at the signatures of the golfers on this page. And he had the signature of Arnold Palmer, Ray <laughs> Floyd, Jack Nicklaus, and all of these guys' handwriting was very legible, but they were flu fluid smooth flowing strokes and handwriting 
if I can mm-hmm. find the book, I'll make a copy of the page. <laughs> you get. And he said, now, if your handwriting is like this, one of these people that's real night and tense and your letters are all. And, and I looked at my handwriting. He said, you got to understand that you have a personality that probably is never going to allow you to be a really great golfer. I mean, you, there are certain <laughs> things about your tension in your system or bodies, but it was something that I never forgot. He said, and it ties in with that whole notion. You've got to be able to relax to play golf. Oh my Lord. What, you know, you, something as concrete as a signature, but what a tremendous lesson he, he made out of that. Because, right. You know, and, uh, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, well, I'm thinking about what mine looks like now. It looks like an EKG or something. Yeah, completely yeah. Well, what, well, you're going to laugh about this. This is a conversation, not an interview. <laughs> no, I don't know who's going to listen to that. But I'll tell you what I did for months. I practiced writing a legible signature, not only legible, but having fluid, fluid strokes. Because go. that was kind of when I made notes or other things. That was kind of my level of self-reflection and practice to learn to relax. You know, if you got tension, because any tension you have as a leader, you're going to transmit to other people, any anxiety or other things. You don't transform whatever's wrong in yourself. You'll transmit it to other people, whether it's your kids or friends or anybody. That's a very important life lesson. I, I'm, I'm picturing the best hole I had in a long time which just happened this morning. I think I mentioned it to you when we're setting up this call and I'm not going to take everyone down the long shaggy dog <laughs> golfer stories that we <laughs> love to tell. But I, I, I can tell you that with Boomer on my mind and, and Peck about spirit and your, your voice, Jerry, and other things like that, I was like, okay, last hole, clear as a bell, sky was blue. It wasn't that hot. Out, and I had already played eight holes. And then my first thought was, oh, gee, you know, I better get this hole finished pretty quick because, you know, got to get back to this, that, and the other thing. And then my second thought was, cut it out. Why remove the sheer pleasure of one more attempt to do something very well by thinking what you, you know, you're going to have to rush through it. So I calmed myself down. Easy does it. I don't think I put a smile on my face, but I do remember distinctly how good it felt to just relax and let that and let that drive go through. It was a par four hole, and I never drive a ball <laughs> more than 120 <laughs> at best so far. But this one went to right to the edge of the green, and I'm thinking, "Well, where's my ball? Oh, that can't be my ball up there." <laughs> My ball. So I walk, 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 push my cart. I get there. And, but it's just far enough where I, I can't just tap it in with a putter or use my seven iron. So I, I said, well, God, I haven't really practiced chipping very well. Stop that, David. Just go ahead, get back to swing, just follow through. And that ball just went up and dropped. And it was a pin was way on the far side of the green. It dropped three feet from the pin. And I think I mentioned you also that I had the groundsman who had been watching me on that one. Uh, and I had said hi to him earlier in the, in my game. And he, he just happened to be going by with his mower. And he stops it and he goes, nice chip, Dave. You know, like it was like you could have had a thousand people, you know, in the gallery. 
you know, because I rarely chip that close. Yeah. Now to the point we've been making here. Three feet. Three little feet of my putter. Uh, back to the chattering mind. <laughs> oh, you know how many of these size of putts you've missed just today. You remember the last three holes where you get you 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 know four feet out right. and you putted past the hole. You're gonna do it again, and th this would be your bird, your first right. birdie. Right. And, uh, and again, maybe you know Boomer Peck and and Struck were channeling me, and I, so I just ah come on, and I topped it in, it went straight in, clunk clunk. And that was a great end for my game. But you see now there. <laughs> that's a, that, well, that's exhilaration. And I, it you is. know, the, the thing that, that I think this is, this is, I'm going to, I'm going to stress test an assertion or an assumption about what might be going through your mind as a golfer. But it, it's always been my belief that one of the great allures of golf and why it hooks you so is that when you go out, and uh, it, it, it hit a really good golf shot at times. You can hit one as good as any player in the world can hit it. I mean, if, if you go out and you hit a six iron, 155 yards or something, and you hit that par three and it gets within four feet of the hole, you've just hit a shot as good as any pro in the world can hit it. I mean, now he might have hit an eight iron to do it as opposed to a six or a nine. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, you know, holes in one are flukes. I mean, you know, yeah. but to stiff to stiff an iron shot, and the same thing with the drive. I mean, and, and but what that but what that does is, I believe it hooks you. In other words, sometimes most most of the time, I maybe drive the ball about two hundred and ten yards. Okay, mm -hmm. but maybe once in a while, I absolutely do everything perfect timing. Maybe I've turned my lower body. I stayed down a little longer. Maybe the wind helped it, but maybe it went 235. And I feel like, my God, you know, I couldn't, nobody in the world could have done any better than that, that had my physical condition and age and time and everything else. Mm -hmm. And you, you kind of get instant feedback. And so it hooks you. You think, oh my God, I ought to be able to do that every time. <laughs> you know, and, but, and, you know, and, and unless you practice the right things, you'll never do it. I mean, you, you know, that's the problem with golf. You can you can compound your errors and, 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 and have some flukes and you think it has something to do with your ability when it's really just a fluke. You, you like, know. It's like going to the casino to gamble in a right. way. Yeah. Yeah. But I think but, but, the, the, your, and I think your assertion is, is quite good. And I also think that the, the, that pattern occurs to all of us in all sorts of practices, uh, ways that we've applied ourselves serious about uh, continually achieving results. We're going to have some of those moments where, wow, how did that happen? And, you know, it's like, is this another person who just did that? Whatever it is, you know, fixing a, even fixing a plumbing job. If, if suddenly you fix something that no one else even saw, you know, wow, that's incredible. But your other point, Gary, is in order to achieve that more regularly, because that's such a great feeling. You, you, <laughs> right. you got to work for it. You got to yeah. go back and practice green and do chipping and all the rest. And of course, initially I thought, ah, I, 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 it's no fun to sit down out there on the, on the putting green. I'm going to get right out into the game. And there's no question that the game is, the big reward, but 
after after today and realizing that how nervous I was for a little three foot putt, I, I'll, I'm I'm saying on the record here, I I'll be out on a putting green for a while. But it's all about what I choose to do, right? What you choose to do. Golf has a tremendous uh, range of choice for anyone who picks up a club. Right. Exactly. You know, and and I like the freedom of that. There are right. certain rules, obviously, yeah, well, and, and lots of nice uh, eth etiquettes, uh, which uh, Peck wrote about very, very interestingly in a couple of his chapters. But uh, let's talk in our last few minutes about the aspect that Peck wove through his entire book, uh, and that is this notion of spirit, mm -hmm. uh, how golfing and spirit have so much uh, in common, I guess. What's your thought on spirit your own well i mean i i happen to believe in a, in a transcendent spirit and you know and i happen to be a christian but i also believe that there are basic spiritual principles and spirit that are involved in all the major world's religious traditions yes and that uh you know, even if you listen, you know, if you if you think about the Ten Commandments, you know, and uh, if even if you don't believe in a Christian God, every one of the Ten Commandments is just a form of stealing. Okay, I mean, if you bear false witness against another man, you're stealing his reputation. If you commit adultery, you're stealing somebody else's spouse or family. If you steal their money, you're stealing their money. If you don't honor your parents, you're not uh, you're stealing what they deserve uh, for giving you life. It doesn't mean you've got to obey them anymore if they're not living godly principles. Or, mm -hmm. but there is there is this what I call a higher dimension of values, love. We've always respected people who loved rather than hated. We've always respected people in all cultures who evidence courage as opposed to cowardice. You know, we've always re recognized that humility is better than arrogance. And these are all transcendent principles. And they're not, they're not something that you can measure with an instrument like weight or from a scientific standpoint, but you know that there is a spirit involved and that, you know, we one of, one of Peck's chapters where he talks about one of my biggest problems that I have to work on is, is self-control. And, and, uh, and, and you have to be aware of that when you're not controlling yourself, but he uses the term eagerness. Yeah. And he talked, he yeah. talks about the difference between excitement enthusiasm and eagerness you know yeah. enthusiasm is a great thing but you you can be enthusiastic without being excited a lot of people are very excited about everything but they're not really enthusiastic i mean they're not committed to something they don't love it they don't they don't understand what true enthusiasm is that that allows you to be passionate and keep on what you're doing but then he talks about eagerness and that eagerness is what gets you into trouble because you're so eager to do something that you don't, you end up making a lot of errors. You're in too big a hurry to do it. And it, it you know, you can call it errors of enthusiasm, but they can come become habits. And he uses that as to talk about his, the two worst times to be eager 
on a golf course is when you absolutely always do it. You get eager in the middle of your swing at the top because you're in a hurry to go ahead and hit the ball in a hurry. So you start swinging your arms as opposed to turning your lower body. And the second thing is you get too eager to look up at the results before you finish your shot so you don't stay down on it and commit to the shot and follow through and then just let your head come up naturally. Well, as someone myself who's been a type A all of their life trying to always do more and more in less and less time, eagerness was, you know, part of, of, of part of my habits. And, you know, I think about, you know, we talk about practice. I think about practice to me is just sometimes another word for habits and well, habits, you know, and habits yeah. and habits. Well, good or bad habits yeah. are what I call shortcuts to thinking, acting, being or feeling. OK, yeah, that's a good there's shortcuts to them. And hopefully, you, you know, so you, you human beings can do like seven thousand different things, you know, whether flossing their teeth or brushing their teeth. There's a lot of different ways to do that. Hitting golf balls, driving cars, reading books. I mean. The human being is an incredible, incredible. That's probably the most incredible thing on planet Earth. And so you can't, you have to develop habits, you know, and some of them you develop to adapt and because you've adapted to things wrong. But we, we're just creatures of habits. And then once you develop a habit, then it's kind of got you. And then it's doubly difficult to break the habit because you've done it 5,000 times wrong. <laughs> You know, and so it's a and, and so you, it helps when you when you do that to have the spirit helping you because you need you need help. You can't do it yourself. Oh, that's a beautiful uh, that's beautiful exposition of what spirit means to you. And it applies to golf and everything else uh, that we we care about doing. Uh I have a lawnmower starting up in my backyard. The folks will hear a little bit as I'm speaking our last uh, thoughts on, on this conversation, Gary. So in the natural world of Zoom, either a cat comes up on your screen, a dog barks, or the, or guy, the, is, the guy out there is mowing my lawn, and I'm very grateful for him because it's a very big lawn and I don't like mowing. But right. it's also... Uh, a, an important time for me to tell you how much I value this conversation and I'm afraid I'm going to want more. So look <laughs> out because you have a good way of speaking about things. You have, you're drawing on a depth of experience and a whole lot of wisdom and a whole lot of understanding and remembering good <laughs> writing uh, yeah. like the two we cited today or the three. And uh, it's been fun. I hope it was for you. Yeah, very much so. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to the Practice Podcasts, where we discuss practice with a capital P. If you'd like to hear more, listen in on Spotify, Automatic, and Apple Podcasts, or go to inactionresearch.com slash podcasts page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to inactionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon.